0: Everything is live about it. You can lock in your commodity prices, all your inputs, and all those things can be done. we got to have connectivity in rural Iowa.
1: Welcome to Episode 232 of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. In Osage, Iowa, the community's electric utility has served the town and some of the rural areas around it for about 125 years. Osage Municipal Utilities also offers natural gas services and invested in its own communication system in the early 2000s. They offer telephone, cable TV, and Internet connectivity via their cable network. Clearly, Osage is one of those rural communities that think about the future. In this interview, Christopher speaks with Josh Burns, the general manager of Osage Municipal Utilities, who discusses their long-term plans to bring fiber to the home to the community. Josh, who is also a former state representative, spends some time discussing Iowa's approach to rural connectivity and its investment in the Iowa Communications Network. Now, here's Chris talking with Josh Burns, general manager of the Osage Municipal Utilities and a former member of the Iowa House of Representatives.
2: Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell and today i'm speaking with Josh Burns, the General Manager of Osage Municipal Utilities in Iowa. Welcome to the show
0: oh, thanks for having me chris
2: well i'm I'm excited to talk to you uh, as I was saying in our in our pre interview I actually I have this memory and I'm excited to be, to be reminded of this story that uh, you'll be telling us in a few minutes about um, these cattle prices in an app um, around how it's important to have internet access out on uh, farms near your community. Um, but let's start with just a little bit of uh, background for people who aren't familiar with Osage. Uh, where are you in Iowa and what's the community like?
0: Osage, Iowa, located. Oh, I guess the best way to describe us is uh, we're kind of a, a North Iowa or Northeast Iowa community. Uh, about 3,500 people um, reside here in Osage. Uh, about 30 minutes to the eastern side of Mason City, I guess, and and kind of 30 minutes north of uh, of Austin, Minnesota. So it kind of gives you an idea that we are definitely a border community between uh, between the two states. Um, and, you know, I guess in terms of, you know, what, what people, a snapshot of what Osage would look like, um, especially our utility. Um, so our utility is gas, electric, and telecom. Um, and, and our forefathers had some really good instincts there to, uh, to add gas and telecom after they had started out with electric. Um, we are known as a very progressive utility. Uh, we had a guy by the name of Wes Birdsell that was our general manager years ago and and he was actually world renowned for all of his energy conservation methods and and things that he implemented around the community of Osage, such as hot water blankets and light bulbs and low flow shower heads and you know just things of that nature um, kind of put us on the map and then uh, over the years, we have added a uh, a wind turbine to our um, energy portfolio that we actually own ourselves um, about a 1.5 megawatt wind turbine. Uh, This summer we just got done completing a 792 kilowatt um, community solar farm, and so that's going to allow community members to purchase units or subscribe to units within our community solar farm. So we're a very progressive utility and constantly looking at ways to bring in the newest the latest the greatest and uh, so now here we sit with the next question is how do we do fiber to the home within the community um we're a very as you can tell a very rural based community in Iowa Um, and and, and the one thing that you brought up earlier the story about um, uh, the cattle app if you will Um, we had some young entrepreneurs here in Osage that uh, cattle farmers came from long-standing cattle families And they said, you know, how can we better use technology to better market um, cattle? How can we do a better job of purchasing cattle on the front end and making sure that um, we're actually making money when we purchase these cattle? And so these two younger gentlemen went ahead and, and developed an app. And then that app, basically, you could sit at a sale barn as you're purchasing cattle, be live to the Internet, and... As those cattle come across and as the prices are going across, you can plug those prices in, reference it against the commodities at real time, and lock in your prices at the end when you finish out those cattle. So you know while you're sitting in the sale barn, I can either purchase the cattle at X amount of dollar per head and make this amount for money, or... I can purchase them here and lose this much per head. So it's using real lifetime data to make those critical decisions um, so that they have a positive net return on that. The other cool thing about that app is they can actually walk out into the feedlot with their smartphone, their tablets, whatever it may be. And as they're walking through the feedlot, they can do inventory. And up here we have cattle producers that have multiple lots of cattle. And so maybe they forget which one was bought on what date. You can go back in, check that data. This lot here was purchased on this date. This is when they're you know going to market. This is when I contracted for. So it's it's live. I mean, it's it's everything is live about it. You can lock in your commodity prices, all your inputs, and all those things can be done. Well, how does that tie into what you know this conversation is? We got to have connectivity, you know, we we absolutely have to have connectivity in rural Iowa for these things.
2: You know those things that you described. I, I am. I admit that they are very interesting and they are important, and uh, and it's a reminder that I think you know um, some some of the really great breakthroughs and in innovation we get comes out of Silicon Valley. But frankly, you know a lot of the innovation that we ultimately use around this country comes out of communities that we hadn't heard of previously. Um, but it seems like a lot of things that you could do over an LTE network. Um, what makes you um, you know pushing for that fiber to the home, um, aside from your streak as a you know utility, that's obviously thinking about the future more than the past.
0: Right. Well, and I think a couple things. Yes, you can get connected through some of those other entities. I think one um, there is definitely some prohibitive costs that are associated with that. I mean, I have a lot of uh, rural folks that come to me. They share with me what their costs are of you know once they start burning through the data, um, what what those, those, those costs that they're paying for that connectivity out in the rural areas, and, and, and that gets to be very prohibitive. Um, reliability. You know, I think reliability is a big thing for some of these folks, and, and, and we tend to have a pretty good track record when it comes to reliability when you talk about my division of telecommunications here at our utility. Um, you know, and the other thing I think that you get is I have techs on-site, ready to go. If I can't get a tech to you within about 15 to 20 minutes, I would be shocked. And so customer service is a big component of that. So, yes, you have some opportunities to go with some bigger companies and have some of that connectivity, but you don't get the full package like we can provide. And and I think that's that's a big deal. And we have some pockets of our rural communities that are dead zones. I mean, I have dead zones within Mitchell County, where people are not having that connectivity and the bigger companies aren't willing to make the investment to get them connected. And so it's going to take people like myself, it's going to take grassroots efforts to get some of those folks connected. And and honestly, in Mitchell County, unfortunately, we have the haves and the have-nots when it comes to connectivity. And that's unfortunate in the sense that our schools are going to be more one-on-one type school systems, and you've got a kid that goes home after school to do their homework on their Chromebook or whatever it may be, they can't get connected. And, and so we have a discrepancy even within our school system of, you know, what kids have this access and which kids don't. And so we really need to level the playing field.
2: So let's talk a little bit about uh, the history of the telecom for the utility. How did you guys get started with, uh, you know, doing some telecom and what's the current network that you have today?
0: I want to say it was uh, mid to late 90s, I believe, they, they made the, uh, the commitment to, well, I guess, go into like cable TV and Internet and those things. Um, and, and so it's a, it's a um, coax system, you know, the, the old, I shouldn't say old, but it's, it's the, uh, the copper to the home here in town. Um, and so we have got phone, Internet, and cable. It's an interesting setup in the sense that our cable feed comes to us from a rural telecom that provides us with our cable feed. So we're kind of at their mercy a little bit as to what our packages look like, which stations we can offer. You know, if they have tiling issues or if they have an outage, we have an outage. I mean, so we're we're kind of at the mercy of them a little bit, which sometimes can, can prove to be um, frustrating and, and difficult um, in terms of, like our bandwidth that we're getting in our community, you know, we're getting it from about four different entities, um, not all of which are the same prices. I mean, it's kind of all over the board. Uh, We pay some folks just for transport fees, Um, you know, and we're about, I think we're about a 1.3 gig community is where we're at right now. Um, But, you know, all these other companies are talking about increasing, their bandwidth and 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 we got to take a look at that you know as they increase we got to increase we got to stay competitive
2: for people who aren't familiar tell me if i got this wrong when you say a 1.3 gig community that means that you know you make packages available people subscribe to them but but people are kind of you know they they have habits and so you have a general sense of how much connectivity you need so on any given day you're pulling about 1.3 gigs is that what you meant
0: yep yep that's kind of about our total package correct That's the next phase we're looking at is, you know, how can we um, take a little bit more control over our destiny when it comes to fiber bandwidth, fiber to the home? You know, how are we going to compete with some of these companies that are maybe starting to do, you know, some of these bigger companies talking about, um, you know, deploying these, 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 these wireless systems and, and trying to get on top of utility poles and things of that nature. And, and, and I guess I see some of that as more of like a quick fix type of connectivity for them. And, and so I'm like, I mean, we have to be ready. You know, we have to have a game plan of, of how are going to control that destiny for ourselves? And, and so that's, that's what we've been researching right now. And, and we do have a wireless system that we provide to some of our rural customers as well. Um, and so we do dabble in the wireless in addition to what we do within the community.
2: When you say that, do you, does your electric territory go outside of the city limits?
0: That is interesting as well because, uh, yes, um, it, it, how they drew these lines back in the day, I have no idea. It's a lot like <laughs> your school district lines. They just don't make a lot of sense. Right. Um, and so, yes, we do have some little pockets where you know we do go outside. And the nice thing is our neighbors that we have with uh, electricity is a rural um, uh, electric cooperative, which are great partners of ours. We work very good together we've at times maybe had to even exchange some territory they 've been great to work with so it 's nice to have a good electric partner next door to to be able to uh, to work with them um, and so yeah, I mean it does it gets to be i mean my public purpose is the city of osage and it does get a little bit interesting when you start talking about things like, you know, where could we go outside the city limits because we do have electric territories. Um now. And saying that we also provide um we 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 OMU um provide the phone service. The seven one three uh is our is our um phone number there. We uh or I should say seven three two is uh you know that is way outside of our territory. I mean, we're covering a large group of people out in the country with phone services. So, you know, can you go out and cover them with Internet or can you not? I mean, it's just there's a lot of gray area when it comes to that side of, of the of the conversation as well.
2: So you guys are running a telephone exchange that's quite large, uh, yep. you know, a cable network that's uh, smaller, and then also a wireless network as well. Is there anything that you haven't tried to do?
0: Uh <laughs> um no i i i don't think they <laughs> i know we're we're looking into uh um maybe we're offering like smart home technologies and getting more engaged in that um again we're a small community you know and 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 people have to drive, you know, 45 minutes, an hour away, or they order it online, you know, if they want, let's say, for example, like a a Nest thermostat or the Nest, the whole Nest system in general, it could be the thermostat, the camera, the smoke detector, all that stuff. Well, it'd be nice if somebody local could help them with that stuff. You know, people, we're getting younger people that want to do these things, and it'd be nice if we could maybe even offer a service through our telecom division there to help those folks out with, just to set up the installation, um, maybe even the retailer for it. I don't know. I mean, it's just some things we're exploring there as well.
2: Do you have uh, residents and businesses that are pushing you and saying, we really want to get this fiber soon?
0: Absolutely. In fact, uh, one of the first things, So I, I, I came on board here in February, and one of the first things that we did is we just simply use SurveyMonkey and and we went out and sent it out with all of our bills and stuff and surveyed the community on their telecom wants and needs and took that data back and started to analyze it to see what do people want when it comes to technology and connectivity. And, and you know, not so much – I found it interesting. One of the things that really came back strong, not so much about speeds as much as it was about reliability, The number one thing was we just want reliable service. We want to be able to be connected all the time. We don't want interruptions. We don't want disruptions. Um, I thought that was interesting. And and to me, you know, that says that we need to maybe do a better job with, uh, you know, maybe just on our end. I mean, maintaining the system, maintaining the outside plant and the internal plant and and doing a good job of preventative maintenance so that we don't have those outages, um, and, and so I thought that was very interesting. But definitely, fiber to the home is a is a big want out of our community. Um, that is something that uh, nobody seems to. Give me any objections on?
2: <laughs> well, and I understand that the the nature of the technology, there's fewer points of failure, so um, it is it is harder to have higher reliability with a coaxial system than it is with a fiber system, according to my understanding.
0: Mm-hmm, that is correct, and you know, so right now we've got uh, you know we got different nodes. I think we got about twelve nodes around our community, and and you know, you got the sweep and balance that you got to do. You got a lot of things that if if those practices aren't being done, your system can suddenly get out of sync. And when it gets out of sync, then you start to have a lot of those issues. And, you know, even like the wireless system, you know, we we, we actually bounce off. We have a south water tower and a north water tower. And so we're projecting out to two smaller communities to the north side and, and the south side. And we're getting interference all the time. I mean, And, and that's that's kind of where I'm questioning how reliable some of these wireless systems that they're talking about deploying are going to be because the interference seems to be one of our biggest issues. And, you know, around here, we got uh, we got a lot of farmers that got a lot of GPS technology. They got a lot of different systems in there with, uh, you know, auto steer and all the different things they've got that, that can interfere. We've got a couple smaller companies that have moved into our area that are trying to deploy wireless systems. They interfere with our signals. So just you know, there's a lot of frustration there sometimes when it comes to uh, comes to that. And the other problem we have, I have a river running just outside of Osage, a pretty good sized river, creates a valley. You got trees, you got a change in in uh, your geography. Sometimes it's pretty dang hard to hit those people with a wireless system, and it's really hard to bury a, a cable in the ground when they live on the side of a hill. You know, it's just there's some challenges there too. And let's let's
2: talk about a different kind of challenge. You are finishing up uh, six years in the Iowa House. Um, yep. Let's uh, let's just talk a little bit about that. What's your experience been in terms of of broadband discussions in Iowa? And, and and let me just say that I feel like Iowa is a state that has some remarkable networks, despite I would say the state doing very little to help. I'd um, agree. Okay, so let's let's just you know give me a sense of absolutely. Give me a sense of what happens when you talk about broadband in the Iowa legislature.
0: I don't know that everybody understands it. I don't think that everybody understands how important connectivity is. Um, you know if some of these folks that are that are legislators, maybe they're not in education, uh, maybe they're not involved with economic development, they're not involved with things that truly rely on that connectivity. They don't get it. They don't understand the 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 need for it. Um, you know, I think it's ironic in the state of Iowa, we have done a pretty good job of deploying fiber to the home and getting it going, and it had nothing to do with our legislative body. It had everything to do with some of our folks like our rural telecos that made the investment themselves put the stuff in the ground, and just took it on, and, and just that initiative. And it and it's not because of anything we did legislatively. We have and did pass some legislation down there that I guess a, a great way to describe it, it was a shell, kind of a shell piece of policy in the sense that the infrastructure is there, the language is there, and someday if the money is ever to follow you will have a mechanism for how to deploy those dollars so (laughs) it was legislation that was passed that will help connectivity in the state of iowa but there's no money attached to it and so it really does no good you know i mean people can go around and say oh yeah we did some great things for connectivity and broadband well yeah you laid some groundwork but there's no money with it. it it does nothing you know essentially it's 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 just it's a shell and so that's about as far as the state of Iowa's gotten. Now, I can tell you in the last month um, before the election, uh, Governor Branstad was up here in Osage and he and I had a conversation about connectivity and I was telling him about our fiber project that we're doing in Osage and at that time he was like, all right, we need to get you on a committee and you need to be helping me out to get this done. Well, now as of Tuesday, he's the new ambassador to China eventually. I'm not sure where that energy goes now. So, um...
2: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I'm very sorry to hear that. First of all, he'll be familiar. I mean, he'll be dealing with fiber in China, perhaps because they have hundreds of millions of people connected with fiber networks already. I, you know, that's interesting, and and I don't mean to cut you off, but you know, my impression, watching from afar, is that Iowa is a state in which to succeed with broadband. It's really going to depend on um, rural uh, co ops, um, some of the rural independents that are willing to be future thinking. Although I think. You know, the the independent companies um, are kind of mixed between those that are just trying to pull everything out that they can and those that really see themselves as wanting to be a part of the future. Um, and, you know, Muni's uh, playing a big role, um, mm-hmm. but definitely not CenturyLink. And oh. when I see the legislation that seems to come through, and I would have even said, you know, until you said that story, I thought um, Governor Branstead was kind of in the pocket of CenturyLink. It always seemed like the legislature was so focused on what it thought it could do to try and get CenturyLink to do more rather than recognizing the real need for these rural local investments.
0: Sure. And and I think that tune has changed a little bit. I think you hit the nail on the head because um, I will tell you that there are, Oh, there's there was a couple bills. I was on Ways and Means, and there was a couple bills that dealt with um, taxing of, like, outside plant equipment for your rural telecos. And it was crazy, the lobbying efforts on me on behalf of, like, Mediacom, CenturyLink, AT&T, and those people basically, you know, crying foul and saying, hey, you know, you can't be cutting those guys any sort of breaks. You know, they <laughs> – they, and, and it's – but at the same time, they were already getting the breaks. You know, they just they didn't want to have the playing field leveled. They wanted to keep this this competitive advantage that they had and and not level the playing field. And so, you're you're definitely right. There in Des Moines, those are some big lobbying groups. I mean, the minute you start to open up the dialogue on leveling the play, playing field or you know trying to connect rural America. Those guys won't take the initiative to do it themselves. And the minute we start to do things, they step in and somehow find a way to kind of derail the conversation. And so I I was too. I was glad to hear Governor Branstead make those comments to me that, wow, this is awesome that you're taking the initiative, that you're doing this yourselves. We need to get you more engaged on this conversation at a state level. So that was good. But now, like I said, I don't know where that conversation goes with him leaving
2: you know this is this is the, one of those things in iowa this is not a partisan issue right i mean um one of our one of the iowa mainstays someone that ever i think everyone knows curtis dean um, oh yeah You know, he he talks about how Steve King, who most of us think of in the the U.S. House as being one of the most incendiary uh, right wing, um, you know, kind of um, people on the left would call him unreasonable um, people. You know, he was very much in support of municipal networks while he was in the Iowa legislature, uh, from what Curtis tells me. So, you know, this is this is an issue that's more about local and whatnot. And I, I hope that as time goes on, we see that you know, that more people respect what you, the local munis have done in this state.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and that's kind of, you know, you're starting to see that take hold in Iowa. I mean, Cedar Falls Utility uh, has been a leader in this. Uh, Waverly is now connected to Cedar Falls Utility and, and bringing that connectivity to the city of Waverly. Um, you know, we're this spring going to be putting in our 22-mile-long um, fiber trunk line from the Minnesota border to Osage. I mean, and here's the other helpful thing. The costs are coming down. You know, it's it's becoming more viable for some of us, to do some of these, I mean, we could sit around here all day and wait for more stimulus money or more grant money. And, 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 you know, but at the end of the day, you know, the culture has definitely changed in Washington, DC. I don't know what kind of dollars, I will say this, I was very impressed with the fact on the night that Trump gave his acceptance speech, he did talk about infrastructure. And in my opinion, we, when I say we, that connectivity piece And fiber belongs in the infrastructure piece and the conversation. It's not just roads and bridges and and runways and airports and things. It's also broadband that has to be considered part of infrastructure conversations.
2: Right. And he has said telecom occasionally, including that, Um, you know, I I think many of us are concerned that nonetheless, his focus on infrastructure by tweaking the tax code may not benefit municipalities and co-ops. But given that rural America is what gave him the presidency, I really hope that we see rural America demanding uh, not to be left in the dark um, by this administration or Congress, frankly.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And and hey he's a twitter user i mean he needs to be connected when he travels
2: <laughs> well let's let's finish up with one other thing about iowa which is that you know iowa was one of these states that that very intelligently early on built the icn the iowa communications network making sure that public institutions around the state would have access to high-quality backhaul to get their um, internet delivered to them, not necessarily to every school, but, but at least one point in each district. You know that, That's my impression of how it works. Um, now, in, in recent years, the Iowa legislature has been trying to sell it off, to privatize it, and it's never been available to, um, for basically furthering municipal networks, I, I think. Can you just tell us a little bit about what's going on with this debate over the ICN?
0: I think some of, here's how I think, I think some people looked at it, legislatively speaking, as a quick fix, you know, boom, there it is, it's there already, Um, you know, let's just use that backbone, we can say we got some things done, you know, let's open it up and and get it out there, but I think there was also a lot of people that stepped in and said, hey, wait a minute, And, and, you know, I had a lot of folks come to me with this, these concerns, they're like, have you thought everything through? You know, what are the unintended consequences of selling this off? You know, suddenly you lose control over pricing. You lose control over a lot of different things that you had control over before. And at the end of the day, you know, hey, we know that that thing has been awesome for school districts. I mean, it's been great for continuing education. It's been great for distance learning. I mean, there's so many things that have, have come from that. And I think we just need to be very, very cautious that, you know, we don't dismantle something and take away that tool that these school districts have. Um, And I, and I, and I don't know, I, I'm, You know, even though I'm leaving um, the legislative body, you still keep your ear to the ground. You still have a lot of people internally that you talk to. Um, I brought this up the other day to somebody. I said, okay, so now that we've got the trifecta in Iowa, meaning Republican governor, Republican Senate, Republican House, do you think they'll go after that again? And nobody seemed to really think it was on anybody's radar. And so I I find that kind of interesting. And nobody's really talking about um, where the ICN is going to go. you know, and I'll be curious to maybe pick Governor Bransett's brain a little bit and see, you know, what are his thoughts on that? And, you know, I, I don't know that he's going to be doing anything too disruptive before he leaves. Um, and I definitely don't think Kim Reynolds is too interested in, in selling that off.
2: What is the, the problem that's been identified that makes people want to sell it off?
0: We've had a hard time finding the money to put into, you know, infrastructure funding for broadband and, and for that connectivity piece. And if suddenly we sell this off, and then it creates some more accessibility, you know in, in the public sector, a quick fix. You know it it it's it's a quick thing. It's, it's you turn it over and and you disperse that connectivity and and look what we did. I, I think that's kind of part of it.
2: So, but I guess my under, my lack of understanding is it, it seems to me that, that you could also just make it open to everyone. And, you know, if this was funded by the Stimulus Act of 2009, um, the, the ARRA, um, then it would have had to be open to all kinds of parties. So uh, is there a reason that the state doesn't just open it up to get those ends without selling it off?
0: Sure. And and I guess I don't even know the answer to that one. Um it's been, I don't think we even debated much of it last year. I think it's been the last two to three years is when it was really kind of a hot button topic. Um, so I guess I couldn't even say for sure why they don't go that route.
2: So, and let's just finish up then with, with a sense of, you know, why someone like you who takes an interest in this doesn't know that. Is it just insanely overwhelming? What do you have like? You have a half of a staff person helping you out <laughs> as you're trying to shape the future of an entire state?
0: Absolutely. Um, I, I, that is one of the things that was so eye-opening for me when I went down there. Is, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a former educator, and so I'm going to go down to Des Moines. I'm going to change education in the state of Iowa. I'm going to find a blank check, and, and I'm going to make sure that schools are fully funded and all these different great things. And then you go down there and you're like, oh, we got to fund the prison system. Oh, we got to fund, you know. Uh, roads and bridges and and, I mean there's just so many different things that you have to fund and and there's only so many dollars to go around and every single area wants more and so it's so overwhelming to to tell people no you know like no, we can't get you that funding. I mean, it just you have to share that pot of money, and and everybody wants more, and it, and it's and that is tough. And the other tough thing that you alluded to is that you cannot be an expert on everything down there. You absolutely cannot. Um, and so, actually, I was never on any of the committees that really talked about broadband. I was never in the subcommittees or or you know in, in those internal meetings. What the information I always got was always kind of like. Once a bill was ready for the floor of the house, then you would get some of that information. And, and even at that, it was very summarized. Um, you know, and for myself, I ended up becoming chairman of the transportation committee. And that was a learning curve, you know. It's like, holy cow, all of a sudden now I'm thrown into, um, you know, infrastructure funding and 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 laws that deal with, you know, safety on the roads and things like that. And, right, how and the then,
2: suburbs interact with Des Moines, I'm sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, you know, and, and so just crazy stuff like that. And actually, um, the last, well, the fuel tax uh, consumed most of my life down in Des Moines. Uh, that was my bill. That was my initiative. And, and I was very driven um, to increase the funding for our roads and bridges infrastructure. And, and we did get that accomplished. And And during that process, you focus in, I mean, that's a big lift to get that done, and and it takes a lot of your energy. And and so sometimes you maybe don't pay as close attention to some of the other things, but I don't have a personal staff. I think that's the funny thing is that people think you go down there, and and I've had people say, oh, I can't believe you answered your phone yourself. Well, I am it. That's it. Um, You know, even like on uh, the emails, I do all my own emails. Nobody does those for me. There's no form letters. There's no anything, and and so – yeah, it it takes a lot of energy down there to stay abreast of all the different topics and and issues coming through.
2: Great. Well, this has been a a terrific conversation. I really appreciate all of your time and and all of the work you've done, uh, both in the legislature and in Osage.
0: No, I appreciate it. That was
1: Josh Burns, General Manager of Osage Municipal Utilities in Iowa. Learn more at muniNetworks.org, where we're following developments and reporting them to you. Remember, we have transcripts for this and other Community Broadband Bits podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. You can follow Chris on Twitter, where his handle is at Community Nets. You can also follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter, where the handle is at Muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and all of the podcasts in the ILSR podcast family on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. Thank you to Admiral Bob for the song Turbo Tornado, licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to episode 232 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast.